Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Leslie Marquez. And I've actually uh, know Leslie through a couple different channels. We first met on Facebook, and then we happened to work for the Brooks Group at the same time together. And so um, she popped into one of the meetings. She's like, "Oh, Robin! Oh, oh, hey there!" And so uh, we've like met through um, through like the small world of instructional design, and then. Uh, as you may know, we run um, the e-learning freelancer bootcamp. Me, Christy Tucker, and Dr. Nicole Papiano, and Leslie was one of our founding members of the e-learning freelancer bootcamp. And so, um, I actually wanted to bring Leslie on here to talk about uh, freelancing. And so, we'll get into that. But Leslie, would you um, just take a moment and do a more formal introduction of yourself? Absolutely. And thanks again for having me, Dr. Robin. I really appreciate it. It's uh, wonderful to be able to share and, and give back. So I always appreciate the opportunity. Um, first and foremost, I, I just want to say that I have been so fortunate in my career as an instructional designer. You know, I've, I, I started out, um, let's see, right after my college career, I kind of knew that this was the field that I wanted to get into. And so I've been in the world of learning and development for about 15 years now and have worn a number of different hats and experienced all kinds of different industries, had my hands in all types of different roles and, and requirements in the workplace. And um, now I'm working as a full-time freelance ID and loving life, loving the freedom that it's given me and happy to share that experience and help others to move into the same thing if that's what they're looking for. So I, I appreciate you having me here today. So how long were you in corporate instructional design before, you know, you hung out your own shingle, if you will? Oh, gosh. So let's see. When I got out of college, I had dabbled in a few other career paths and, you know, along the way kind of helped pay for those bills. <laughs> <laughs> to get me out of debt. So I got right off into working for some startups and moved into the corporate world. And it wasn't until I got married and um, decided to have a family that I really started looking at alternative options to working as a corporate ID. So I would say about four or five years ago, I started really looking at What's it going to take for me to match my total compensation package? And I say total compensation in the full description of that. So I looked at comparing paid time off, paid holidays, 401k matching, all those things that go into the equivalent of your corporate salary. And what was it going to take for me to become a freelancer and match or beat that? Um, I started a side hustle during that time while I was working as a corporate ID and um, built that up. You know, it, it got to the point where I was able to, to make enough cash from side hustling as an ID on little projects here and there that I was able to pay cash for a car, brand new car, um, nice car too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it was just kind of a little bit more motivation to, hey, 
you know, now I've got a family to think about. I don't want to be traveling and doing all this needs analysis in person all the time. And it was getting kind of cumbersome. So I said, I really need to make this happen. What's that going to take? And that was the push for me to really get out there and put myself into looking at more freelance opportunities and, and seeing what it would take for me to feel comfortable with that lifestyle. And so what, I mean, so when you decided um, your final kind of analysis of what is, I, I know some of you are going to be interested in this, Leslie, when you did your final analysis, like, did you decide that you would have to get a certain number of clients every month? Did you decide that you would have to get a certain price worth of projects um, every month or couple of months? Or what was kind of um, your rubric of, okay, I'm ready to go full-time freelance? Yeah, great question. And again, you know, I'm going to point it back to that total compensation number that I came up with. I wanted to match or beat my total compensation package and also have set aside for myself a couple of months emergency fund for just in case, because there's so many unknowns when you jump into the freelance world. So I, I definitely had that set aside before I made the full-time leap. Um, I had spoken to a number of other freelance IDs and there were a few key people in my life that said, do it. There's a ton of work out there. You just need to take the leap and not look back. And I said, okay, I got to a point. I had that savings set aside. I knew the number that I needed to meet. And to answer your question more directly, for me, starting out as a freelancer meant looking for hourly positions. And I think that's going to be the same case for a lot of people that make that move, especially in the beginning. It's really intimidating. I still find it intimidating to price out project-based instructional design. So I know a lot of people get their start that way. And for me, it was all about, can I meet this number with how much I'm taking on without working myself to the bone? So I got enough project work lined up. I had my savings set aside. I knew the number I needed to meet. And I had a couple of longer term projects in the beginning. So I think the first one was a six month contract that was full time. But again, it was a contract. There was an option to extend. And then at the end of it, there became a little bit of wiggle room for me to take on other client work. Um, so that was really what got me out of the corporate world and into the freelance life. Yeah, that's a really good point too, because it's a lot easier to make that transition when you know it's going to be uh, something that's a little more firm. It's hourly. The hours that you put in are going to actually get paid for you because it does yeah. get tricky when you do project pricing because you could either make a ton of profit or you could be eating costs if you... <laughs> If you it's, do it incorrectly. it's so easy. Yeah, it's, it's so easy to shoot yourself in the foot with project-based pricing. You know, there's so many unknowns, and especially if it's a client that's new to you and you're not used to what they might come back with and, you know, what their expectations are, what their revision cycles are like, especially, you can really, really get hurt. So um, yeah. I would suggest to anyone, start out as hourly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get get a feel for it first. Oh my gosh. And not to mention how long those net 30s, net 60s can feel when you do oh, yeah. project work as well. And so then you're and then you actually have to use your backup savings, which is not the point of your 
<laughs> right, of your exactly. Savings. That's that's a great point that you're bringing up as well because a, a lot of those first contracts that I had, you know, while you're submitting hours on a weekly basis and giving reports and things like that, you don't invoice until the end of the month and that invoice like you said might not get paid for 60 days. So, do you have enough to keep yourself afloat in the meantime? And maybe can you stagger and have some clients that do pay on a more frequent basis to kind of offset that wait time? Um, I know that that's definitely been something that's been an up and down in my calculations of income <laughs> over the past <laughs> few years that I've been doing this. So how many years has it been now, Leslie, that you have been a freelance instructional designer? Full-time, I think we're going on three years since I completely oh. cut the cord. Maybe four. I could be off on that. Um, it feels like a lot longer again because I had those side hustles going on, but it, it's been a, a little while at least. It sounds like we probably started full-time freelance about the same time. So my first so. full year was January 2018. Wow. I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to look that up. I, I actually don't oh. know the date. And I think that should be something that I should celebrate more. You know, I think we all should because it's huge. That's a huge accomplishment in life. And, I, you know, I'm going to have to write that date down, find out when it was, and celebrate that. Because what an accomplishment, right? I just remember it so clearly because I just was all tied up in knots about making that transition. I knew I had the client. I knew I had the ramp. I knew I like, I mean, I had all the things, like you said, I had the savings and, but still just pulling that trigger and telling that boss, I'm not coming back. It was, I won't forget it. So <laughs> me is like January, 2018. I remember forever. So the, I actually brought you on Leslie, because now you've been doing this for a while and mm -hmm. we're in 2020 and, um, you know, we have all kind of been experiencing um, what it's like to be working um, during the pandemic of COVID. And so that's kind of changed the way that we work and how we get clients. And you had some, you've had some really good insights. So a lot of, for me this year, um, I haven't been like seeking clients as much as I used to because I'm focusing on uh, course products but I know that you have been like boots to the ground, Leslie. And so I would love to just kind of uh, learn more about the observations that you've made and some kind of changes and strategies that you use. Absolutely. So I'm happy to share that. And, you know, I thought it would be such a great and helpful topic to all those idols out there that you're trying to reach with this. And, you know, I think it's important to take a look at what it was like pre-COVID and take a look at what work has been like post COVID. Cause you know, we all have the hope that things are eventually gonna go back to some sort of a normal. Um, but I think our industry in particular is forever going to see a change related to this because now people really understand the need of having instructional designers and having learning management systems and having you know, a clear cut plan for what learning is going to look like in their organization and how that's going to be accomplished. Um, so let's start with pre-COVID. So pre-COVID for me in particular, the, the types of projects that we're seeing were very different. They were more specific, they had higher budgets, and they had much more clear cut needs. And I think as a freelancer, we typically fit into two roles, right? 
we typically fit into either the staff augmentation role or we fit into the, hey, I need just this specific project done. Can you do it for me? So again, you know, we've got the staff aug and project base. And again, pre-COVID, I saw a big mix of that. And it was pretty much even across the board where, you know, you would see some higher end development projects, maybe a high level two, level three design and development projects. Um, and now I'm seeing post-COVID, the level of those projects altogether is, is different. Number one, there's these organizations that while they're open to considering the full spectrum of the design and development process and going through analysis and truly figuring out what learning should look like for them, they just don't have the time or the budget to wait months or years to get their programs online. And they're wanting a solution that's fast and cheap. So our yes. job has now become, <laughs> I'm sure you agree, right? Yes. The, the few clients that I've like taken phone calls with, it's exactly what you said, Leslie. Absolutely. So, you know, I think what they're realizing is that, wow, we're really behind in our offerings. We need to have more blended programs. We need to have fully online options for our audience. You know, we've just never thought of doing this before. So our job has become figuring out how we can shape their programs up for blended or online delivery set them up, but, but give them something that they can build on for the future so that when they do have the time and the budget to go back and really look at the true process of instructional design and, and, and creating these learning paths and programs, then it can be set up with a foundation for success. It also happens to coincide with the fact that Flash is going away yeah in january and so they have this pain of knowing oh i have to move these these programs online oh and my old courses aren't going to work anymore yes and you know <laughs> believe it or not i actually have some former clients that i've reached out to about that because i know their courses were published in storyline one or storyline two and they're flash based and i said look guys what is your plan we're getting down to the wire here we just don't have the budget for it. And so we're going to just play a wait and see game and see what happens. And unfortunately, I think that's the case for more organizations than we realize that they, they don't have the funds to take care of that because they have other priorities and they're going to end up scrambling once they realize that they're no longer supported. And I want to get into Leslie about what you said about how many of these people are coming to you and they have, small budgets and they are scrambling and you know this this kind of solutions that you are coming up with to both meet their budget and build something that's more of a a phase development uh for yeah. to, you know to fall in line with those budgets but oh, i just want to mention that i also noticed that i had clients uh, you know lined up before like right around the time that COVID happened in march it was like late March for us, like when I really noticed and I had them, they stopped, they started canceling uh, the, you know, the prospecting of the discovery calls or whatever stage that they were in, they would either cancel it or even after I, um, some of them had signed contracts, they were like, we really just, we can't move forward 
because all of our budgets have been frozen. Um, and I even had clients who, uh, you know, I did have some of my talent pool on their staff and they had to just cut them all together because of budget freezes. Did you experience any of that right at the beginning? I sure did. I had some long-term um, contracts where I was, again, in a staff augmentation hourly type role, um, mm -hmm. working on ongoing work that had been planned and budgeted for for years. And all of a sudden, just these budgets got cut. And I'm just now starting to see them come back and say, okay, we've got a little bit of our budget back. Can you come back in and finish what you were working on? Um, but absolutely, I, I did see several get cut. Um, I saw several organizations as well cut their contractor budgets in order to try to keep as many of their in-house full-time staff as possible, um, which I thought was the right thing to do. You know, it, it really is. And in, in their shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. Um, but definitely, there were a lot of cut budgets at the beginning of this year. So did you uh, switch strategies right away, Leslie? Or um, so how did you start finding clients? Or did you just, or you could still find them because, you know, the need was there, but then you started to notice mm -hmm. like, where's, where's your money? <laughs> so here's the funny thing. People started coming out of the woodworks looking for somebody who could be a jack of all trades. Um, mm -hmm. I am, again, really blessed that I have a background with LMS administration, and I know maybe some of your audience saw my, my talk on Talent LMS a few weeks ago, um, but I started offering LMS administration and kind of whole package. If your company, you know, again, probably targeting more of the small to mid-sized organizations who were doing things face-to-face, -face, who were selling their programs. Again, they were traveling across the globe, presenting their programs in person. Now, all of a sudden, they're dead in the water, and they're thinking, well, we have to spend some of our budget on developing online programs, or else we're done, just completely shut down. So, those are the ones that started coming out of the woodworks and saying, what can you do with what we have? What do you suggest for us? Because our Zoom calls just aren't working for clients. We need something better. We need something that's more effective. So, you know, where, where I came in for those folks was being able to offer them an LMS solution, being able to develop learning paths, learning plans, helping them restructure their curriculum so that it fit for the online environment, um, looking at how to blend with a little bit of the virtual instructor-led training um, blended in with um, self-paced e-learning. And how could we not only present that from an instructional design perspective, but helping them even market that to their clients talking about the viability of it, um, giving them statistics and information around why we chose this approach versus doing Zoom calls and why it's better. So, you know, really looking at the learning design viability of choosing those options versus just scheduling conference calls on video that people were falling asleep in, to be, to be completely honest. <laughs> and so when they came to you, they did have some 
budget? Because I got a lot of these coaches too, or these trainers that were traveling around and they lived on these in-person workshops. But when Mm -hmm. I found the ones that were coming to me, just, they just had, they just had no, they had some really off expectations about what it would cost to move their program online. They're thinking they could get it for like two grand. I think that there is a little bit of that as well. Um, The organizations that I've seen that were more realistic are probably more of the mid-sized businesses who had programs. Um, So for example, for example, um, construction safety training, industrial safety training organizations. Again, a lot of these are old school. They're presenting face-to-face. They're going out to these big industrial construction sites and teaching OSHA training. You know, you've got sales organizations who are only targeting teaching at conferences and sending their facilitators out to large organizations, but they're not thinking about what happens when we can no longer do that. So those were the organizations that came my way. I got very few individuals and I cut them off real close to the beginning because I just realized that their expectations are completely off. Okay. That makes more sense. Cause I was like, how are you finding? Cause okay. It's a different <laughs> type of, okay. It's, it's making sense now. I was like, you wouldn't even know to like get down into that kind of clarity unless you know, you were really kind of targeting those types of um, people. But yeah, there's definitely a range as far as like who is going right. to go and deliver. There's like just the individual business. And then you've like, you've mentioned it's a mid-size that makes more sense. Yep. Okay. So keep going, Leslie. I was just going to say those individuals, again, um, you know, it, it may be a great alternative to donating your time to a nonprofit to, to help out an individual coach or something like that for a cut rate to get some experience. But if you're going to build your business around it, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. And I will just um, also like to uh, co-sign on that. I was doing a campaign uh, before, like right around, like right before COVID and kind of like a little bit afterwards, but then I stopped it pretty short. And it was a campaign targeting these coaches that were doing the in-person workshops. And it's like, oh, you can make a digital course product. And it was, you, you met with them and it was, they just had no idea what the costs were. And it was, even if you educated them as to why it cost so much, they're like, oh, well, but you know, I, I don't have the money and uh, can't I just do Zoom calls and make some PowerPoints or record over them. So right. yeah, I stopped that campaign and, myself. And while we're talking about the digital online courses, let's go there for a minute because I think a lot okay. of people don't go there and we should because that is a completely different thing. That is not the typical instructional design work that I've done in my career. Um, and it's new. It's it's a newfangled DIY approach to e-learning. And I'll never forget when I when I first started looking at becoming a freelancer, I joined a Facebook group that was all about promoting women who were, you know, I I'll just just say very confident, motivated businesswomen. And I won't give away the name of the group, but I did find a lot of people in there who thought they could build online courses. And that is not the same as instructional design. It's not. Um, 
you know, it, it takes skill, it takes practice, it takes research and knowledge and knowing adult learning theory, it, it takes a lot more than just being able to set something up in LearnDash or whatever these ones are that everybody's using that are based off of WordPress or whatever. I think there's a lot of value to pushing an organization, small to large size, towards using a true LMS solution. And again, the reason why I gave that, that talk on talent LMS is because I think a lot of people don't realize that there are true LMSs out there that are affordable, that can fit in these shoestring budgets that people are dealing with right now and give you all these extra bells and whistles that something like LearnDash, LearnPress, Kajabi, you name it, all those ones that, that these online course builders, and I'm doing air quotes here, are using, there, there's much better alternatives, you know? Oh, yeah. There's, I, I'm with you. I, got, I also preach the praises of Talent LMS, even though I don't actually host my courses there, but <laughs> I made the mistake of, of uh, you know, picking one of the easier platforms to kind of start out. And now like, it'll probably be one day where I have to move everything. That's a totally different audience. There's definitely a time and a place for that. But when you're looking at organizational learning and performance measurement, how are those going to meet those needs? You can sell an online course that way, and that's great. I think they're wonderful for that. But I'm talking about getting into the real, treating a small business as if they were a large corporate learning department. And that's what I want my clients to feel like. I want them to feel like they have a team behind them that has expertise that can help them look completely legitimate in their training programs to their staff and to their clients as well. So that's one of the, the next things that I wanted to talk about was where can you add value? Cause it's a different, you're going to add a different type of value right now. Exactly. So what, what can you do during this crisis that all these organizations are in to add value to them? So one of the things that I've seen that's been a huge request is, do you have graphic skills? Can you use a photo editing software? Um, are you good with editing audio? Because, you know, there, there's so many resources out there where you can get great voiceovers done by professionals for nominal rates. Um, I know one I've used recently is Narrator Files, and I was super happy with them. Um, but, you know, you may need to edit the files a little bit. So can you do some of that post-production audio work, video work? What other skills can you bring to the table and provide additional value to these organizations that, that, that need people right now. They need somebody who can do a little bit of everything. Um, one of the other things that I think a lot of clients have recently brought to the table is, hey, we need coaching guides created or we need a tip sheet created. I don't really have skills in InDesign, to be honest, or Illustrator. Um, that's it's not my wheelhouse, but I have found other tools out there. I know, um, I think one that, that Dr. Robin, I think you've promoted Canva before, but Canva is a great a tool. Huge fan. <laughs> There's so much you can do with Canva, and I have never even upgraded from the free account. So, you know, there you go right there. Money savings, but it's also a value add. So I'm creating images, creating posters, creating 
um, tip sheets, newsletters, anything that I can do to provide additional value is going to be so helpful to the organizations that are coming to me for help right now. Um, and I think that would just be something awesome if you can look within you and see what you have to give. Now, when you are adding this extra value, Leslie, are you, is this happening during your, you know, your discovery calls with the clients or is it something that you're noticing that you could add after you already secure the project or is it on some of those contract things where they're already paying you hourly? You're like, oh, and I can do X, Y, Z. <laughs> so that's a great question. And I think it's a little bit of all of the above. So a lot of times they'll mention these things in a call and I'll say, well, you know what, that's actually something I could do for you. Or what do you think about this idea? Maybe we could, we could pull in some of this, or it may just be something that they don't know that they need. You know, we know from our instructional design learning that e-learning is not the answer to everything. There are many cases where a tip sheet or a job aid or some other sort of resource may be the more appropriate solution to a performance problem, right? Right. So a lot of times these clients don't realize that it may just be as simple as creating that. Maybe there's an infographic that needs to be posted outside of a break room with tips on hand washing to prevent COVID exposure. You never know what it might be, but just listening carefully during the discovery calls Listening carefully, once you get a client on board, you can usually discern if there's something that would provide additional value that they haven't already identified for themselves. So now you've noticed too, Leslie, that things have started being um, started picking back up for you. Like they are starting to get some more, um, some bigger budgets and look a little more traditional. So what's kind of your? Uh, are they just coming to you by word of mouth at this point, Leslie, or are you still? Actively, actively looking for leads? So I always leave my LinkedIn profile open, um, but one of the big pieces of advice that I will take, give to um, anyone who's looking to become a freelance ID, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I do not accept or take on any full-time contracts anymore on an hourly basis because in my first year as a contractor, I was dependent on a full-time contract and the budget got pulled and all contractors were terminated with one day notice. Um, mm. So, you know, what I typically do is I load up my plate with part-time projects. I tell people, Hey, this is the max I can take on around my other work. Um, if that works for you, great. If not, I'm available for a little bit more in this time period, but usually Leaving my LinkedIn profile open will bring a lot of stuff my way. Also having really good relationships with a few vendor organizations who have placed me in the past has been really beneficial because when their clients, for example, I, I've worked with one vendor since the very beginning that has placed me on a number of projects and they have gotten good feedback about my work. And so they'll, they'll send me things all the time and say, Hey, do you have capacity for this? Um, we know this client got pulled. So we're going to try and fix that. 
you know, that's on us. We're, we're going to try and make sure you stay busy because we want to keep you on our roster and not lose you to another vendor organization. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's another thing to think about. Your reputation is everything in this industry. So if the clients are happy with you, if you're providing extra value and you're working under a vendor contract, they might just keep sending you more work. So get your foot in the door somewhere, make a good impression, add that extra value, and then you're going to see the work keep flowing in. And just to clarify, Leslie, when we're talking about working under a vendor contract, we're talking about other e-learning companies. Yes, exactly. Hire part-time contractors. Yep. Kind of like what, kind of like what we did at, at Brooks Group, but exactly. Maybe something. Yep. Okay. Similar, yeah, similar to that. Because um, there's, there's also there's a bunch of big names yeah. out there, but I don't know that I'm allowed to disclose based on my contract confidentiality agreements. So, um, but there are a number of of larger training organizations, and I I think even you do this, Dr. Robin. You you hire contractors to work on projects under your corporate name. So it's just Heck yeah, larger organizations. Oh yeah. <laughs> Who <laughs> wants to do all the work themselves anymore, right? <laughs> I, now, I mean, see, I, I hardly ever do any client work, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so you are my idol because I am working to get to that point. Um, right now I'm still in a stage where I love being hands-on and yeah. I love the relationship aspect of working with the clients and um, doing things for them, getting the feedback and, and, you know, just having the opportunity to really make them shine. And I love that part of it. So I'm not quite ready to give it up yet, but it is a goal of mine to be able to bring other people in to help me out so that I'm not doing everything. And so that I can say yes to more because I've had some projects that I've had to turn down because I just, I can't take that much on. It's it's too much for me to do as one person. So, but again, this was why I attended that boot camp. <laughs> if you ever need a baby idol, you know I've got I've got stacks of them. <laughs> there we go. I may just be calling yeah. you for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the freelancer boot camp that you and and Christy and and Dr. Nicole ran. I can't tell you enough how much motivation it gave me to really improve my business processes and look at what my goals were because, you know, I, I wanted to hear from experts. I wanted to hear from people who've been doing this more successfully than I have. How can I improve what I'm already doing? So I think you guys put together just a wonderful program and I highly recommend it to anyone who's either considering becoming a freelance ID or who's already in the field and just wants to improve and, and touch up on some of their business practices. So now I just kind of want to know, and I appreciate that, Leslie. I just want to know kind of a, like an overview. Did you, so have you noticed as far as like the revenue that you brought in this year? Has it been comparable to last year's more than or less than? I would say it's been, so far it's been comparable. Um, That's good. And it could have been more. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had some stuff going on personally um, between my my husband and I, we're, we're building a house and it's been disastrous. So I have, on my own good conscience, not taking on as much work as I did in previous years because 
there are other factors that are taking my attention away. So <laughs> it could have been a better year, but by my choice, I have cut back on my hours a little bit. But you have had to turn down work. I mean, if you want it, yes. if you, if you didn't have this house um, situation going on, you would probably be on track for doing better than last year. Absolutely. And if I had a team under me, I could have said yes to a whole heck of a lot more work. Yeah. But let's yeah. talk so, about that for a minute. So where are okay. the jobs right now? Because I, I definitely want to give your audience some, some insight. And there's one thing I really want to point out. Now is the time. If you're an educator, if you're a former teacher, a former trainer, somebody who's looking to get into the field of instructional design, now is your open door opportunity because there is so much higher ed and K-12 work out there that they're, they're looking for entry-level instructional designers, people who can help these college faculty and these K-12 um, instructors to build an online course and to work with the LMS. And I know that there are tons of people out there who, let's say you worked as an adjunct for a few years and you taught a couple of blended classes or online classes. Now's your time to promote that experience and get your foot in the door in the ID field. That is where a lot of the newer opportunities are is in higher ed K through 12, right? That's what you're Absolutely. Seeing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done any work in the K-12 space, so I can't speak mm -hmm. to that specifically, but I started my corporate ID jobs in the higher ed space a long, long, long time ago. I worked for a company that got bought out by Pearson. Um, another idol that you've interviewed was actually a former yeah. coworker of mine, um, Elizabeth. Uh. So yeah, we worked together a long time ago, which is awesome. And so, you know, I've, I've kept that higher ed in my back pocket at all times because I've noticed whenever there's been a downturn in the corporate work, higher ed has always been a standby and there are mm -hmm. always institutions who are looking to take their courses online or their master's program that they just developed in um, data mining. They want to put it online. So, you know, there, there's always room in the higher ed world for more instructional designers. Yeah, and I've been getting calls. Um, you know, I get calls, Leslie, from recruiters, but not necessarily for me, but because they know I've got a network. And I ha I've been getting calls from recruiters where they are looking to hire for higher education, but they want corporate instructional designers. So there you um, go. Like for instance, one was for Emory where they said, no, we don't want a higher education instructional designer. We want someone who knows how to use the tools and um, they have a great design aesthetic. We want a corporate instructional designer to come and work for Emory to build their professional development courses because they are, a lot of them are moving into those, you know, to augment their existing programs or to do professional development and they want to build them to be, I mean, basically as sexy as some of our corporate training. Yes. And you know, good on them for realizing the need for that because you've got so many people who are now working from home. And as we all know, 
you're much more productive when you work from home than you are in an office. So I think a lot of people are saying, well, hey, I've got some extra time. How can I brush up on my skill sets? And I think these, these universities and institutions like Emory that are offering professional development programs and looking into certificate programs, they're doing the right thing. They're, they're providing a value to us. And what other kind of tips do you have? What's kind of like your last, like how to go and, and hunt for some, for some new work? So again, I'm going to say, keep your reputation. Make sure that when you get a foot in the door somewhere, especially if it's for an e-learning vendor or instructional design organization that, that places, or even with recruiters that contact you from LinkedIn, Keep that relationship as poised and professional as possible. Make a good name for yourself and be someone who can add value and make clients happy. I have dealt with some clients that were a pain in my big old rear end. And let me just tell you, I did everything in my power to make them happy, to just suck it up sometimes and deal with the bad that comes with the good. But ultimately our job is to produce an effective and, and efficiently done learning program, right? We want to, we want to do the best we can to meet our, our clients' needs. So I think anytime you're adding extra value, putting yourself out there with a strong reputation of being a value add person that's going to bring more work your way. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I mean, there are ways to make those clients pretty happy. Like you said, keeping it professional, but quick follow up, letting yes. them know what you've been working on, even if you don't. Communication. Yes, communication. Um, if I have a contractor that's working for me and they are weak at communicating, I don't hire them again, even if their outputs are good. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's just a, it's a no deal for me. And so if you can just do, be really good about your communication and, you know, the outputs that you're creating, then you will build a strong reputation for yourself. I think that's Absolutely. such good advice. And, and I know not everybody is outgoing or, or outspoken, you know, there, there tend to be, a lot of, I think, more introverted folks in the, the remote instructional design world, and that's okay. Written communication is just as acceptable as a phone call or a Zoom meeting, in my opinion, to provide project updates and to ask for things. When you have a question about something, don't assume, because you could go 15 hours into developing something down a completely wrong path. So reach out to your clients, reach out to your project managers, reach out to the teams that you're working with, make sure that you're as involved as you can be, ask questions, um, give your input. Don't be afraid to speak up when you feel like something's going the wrong direction and it's not going to be the best possible solution. If there's a better way of doing it, speak up, share your opinion, share your expertise. And I think you'll realize a lot of times that that is, again, a value add piece for these organizations. This has been wonderful. Is there any um, last 
piece of advice for those out there that are new to the instructional design field or, or maybe some people want to break in through freelancing? I know you said something about targeting higher education and K through 12, but you, you've just shared so much, Leslie. Did you want to give any last <laughs> bits of wisdom? Well, again, you know, I, I know this has been a lot to take in. Um, put yourself out there. Take a risk. Calculate that risk, obviously. Know what you need to stay afloat in case it goes bad. But um, look for the entry-level positions, but also read through those job descriptions carefully. You know, Indeed, LinkedIn, there is just so much work out there right now. I could not even count how many job offers have come across my email. But put yourself out there. If you feel like the position might be a little bit of a stretch, but you meet 80, 90% of the criteria, put yourself out there. Maybe something that they listed, like me. I don't work in InDesign. I don't work in Illustrator. It's not my cup of tea. I, I just am not a huge Adobe person. I'm so glad that Craptivate has gone out the door. Um, <sighs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> but you know what? I tell people, hey, I've got Captivate experience. I've worked with it since 2014, you know, been, been around the block a long time with Captivate. And or, no, gosh, I worked with Captivate way before that. Sorry, that was storyline. Um, but anyways, you know, share your experience. Maybe there's something else that you can offer that will meet that need. Um, put yourself out there and, and just go for it. I think that's great advice because that's always sometimes I can just be the hardest thing is just to, you know, make yourself known, especially if you're more introverted and, you know, that is, that's, I mean, just take that step. Um, even though you feel yep. fear about it and the more times you do it, the easier it'll get. So thank you so much, Leslie. I really appreciate, um, all the insights you've shared with us and, um, I am just wishing you the best with your house <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and your business. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.